Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 29th. Now, our monthly Call Your Senator segment with New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. She's here on a potentially historic day for the United States Senate, as it may pass with as many as 12 Republican votes, the bipartisan Respect for Marriage Act, which would require same-sex marriages performed in any state to be recognized by every state. But there still could be some drama in today's vote over several amendments designed to protect the rights of some people and institutions to discriminate against same-sex couples on the basis of religious faith. The amendments are framed as religious liberty amendments that would prevent discrimination based on religion, just as the bill prevents discrimination based on sexual orientation. Can the country have it both ways? We'll talk about that and more now with Senator Gillibrand. Senator, thanks as always. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be on. So, Senator, is today the day that the Senate codifies same-sex marriage in the United States of America? I do believe so. Uh, We have our vote um, later today, and I think we have the votes we need to codify uh, marriage equality. Um, The Respect for Marriage Act will be a beacon of light to show all same-sex and interracial couples that Congress will stand by them and fight for their fundamental rights. To be specific, the bill does not force every state to perform same-sex marriages. It just forces every state to recognize marriages performed in every state. So what's the practical implication for, let's say, a couple from Texas, if they can't get married there, but they fly to New York to get married here, and then they return to Texas where they live? What's the practical impact of this law in this way? It basically means that their marriage has to be recognized, and it has the force of law, and so that um, if you do have a marriage that you had before, uh, this terrible Supreme Court Dobbs, uh, the terrible Supreme Court decision came out um, through Dobbs that intimated that we might take away marriage equality next, um, that you can know that your marriage is, is legal, it is real, it has got the protection of law. Um, It doesn't tell states they have to allow for marriages in those states, but it does give you federal protections that um, you are a legally married couple. And also state protections. So like if you get a state health insurance benefit, let's say, if you're married in the state of Texas and this hypothetical where where Texas doesn't perform same-sex marriages, would you qualify for that? I believe so. I think what the religious liberty amendments that we're going to probably vote on today are are more focused on is saying that if you're a not-for-profit religious organization, that you don't have to participate. And so I think that any law that says a state law has to recognize a federal uh, contract, uh, federal marriage, those laws are still in in place. So you will have protections um, from states. Uh, About the religious liberty amendments, let me read from a statement by Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah, who wrote one of the amendments. He says, Congress can recognize the ongoing validity of same-sex marriage without trampling on the First Amendment rights, means religious liberty rights, of those who believe in traditional marriage. But under the bill's current language, 
Many religious schools, faith-based organizations, and other nonprofit entities adhering to traditional views of marriage would be at risk of losing tax-exempt status and access to a wide range of federal programs. And then he adds many small businesses would also be affected. For example, wedding vendors, including kosher caterers, would be subjected to endless lawsuits and harassment based solely on the belief. Uh, on their beliefs. So he says, without my amendment, the Respect for Marriage Act would only exacerbate and nationalize discriminatory policies. So, Senator Gillibrand, how will you vote on Senator Lee's amendment? I intend to vote no, uh, and this his amendment um, is extreme because it's basically codifying discrimination and that it's okay to discriminate against people in the public sector, in the, in the economy, in places where we do not tolerate that. So uh, the protection that might pass will be very narrow, that will be just for not-for-profit and religious organizations. But we'll see which amendments actually get voted on, um, but I, I would not support the Lee Amendment. I see. So there might be a version of that that doesn't include for-profit businesses, as I think what you're saying. Um, is it okay? Yeah, I think there's an Go effort ahead. for a much narrower. Yes, I think there's an effort for a much narrower amendment, but I haven't seen the final amendments that we're going to vote on yet. Is it ultimately a zero-sum game, and the law has to discriminate against one or the other, and that makes it hard? Either allow nonprofit organizations, I guess, could include, um, you know, religious schools uh, up through colleges, um, um, religion affiliated hospitals to deny services to same-sex couples or deny those religious people the right to practice this aspect of their religious beliefs. Is it sort of a zero-sum game in that way? I I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I think it's just our Constitution uh, does not permit discrimination. And so when the Constitution and laws that support these values say you can't discriminate against people for their race, their religion, their uh, background, their uh, ethnicity, ethnicity. that's what it means. You can't say just because you believe something different than I believe, you can't participate. That's why we have laws that protect against discrimination. Um, If a religious organization wants to only support and participate with people of their own religious faith, well, then they don't get the benefit of federal dollars. So they can exist, they can do their work, but they don't get the support of things that we protect. I mean, the First Amendment goes both ways. It protects everyone's right to free speech and everyone's right to religious freedom, whether you have a faith or not. And there are faiths that directly oppose uh, the religious rights view on abortion and LGBTQ rights. So, you know, you don't, we don't pick and choose our favorites here. We say everyone has equality and equal rights, and we actually have to protect that because that's what our Constitution says. So last thing on this, do you have to get it done now in the lame duck session because a Republican Speaker of the House next year would refuse to even bring it up for a vote in the House, even though it would probably pass in the new House as well as the current one. That is correct. And um, we believe that the House will create a very right-wing agenda. And so I don't think they will bring up marriage equality in, in, in the new Congress. So doing it now is essential. 
Let's take a phone call on this topic first. Nathan in Manhattan. You're on WNYC. Hi, Nathan. Hi there. Good morning. I'm a longtime listener and a huge fan of yours, Brian, and I'm glad to be speaking with you, Senator Gillibrand. Um, um, I'm a raised Mormon. At 16, I was sent to conversion therapy at the church's institution. I was kicked out of BYU for being gay. And um, I don't say that anyway to like <laughs> create sympathy, but to talk about, you know, obviously my ambivalence with this bill, like, and I been listening since I called in to what you're saying to uh, uh, Senator Gillibrand, and uh, you know I very much feel similarly. And I guess I'm just curious about outside of the political arena, which obviously that's where we're focused right now. But this compromise that we're constantly trying to strike, and Brian, you were talking about it being a zero-sum game. I view religion primarily as the driver of homophobia and transphobia uh, in America, and it seems like we're kind of really caught in this conundrum between the rights enumerated in the Constitution that you were discussing. And I don't know if it's just providing a little more perspective mm-hmm. to the conversation or to get some thoughts from the both uh, from you, Senator, on it as well, that conundrum, which you've already addressed. But Nathan, could well, it work? Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, yeah. go ahead, Senator. S- Senator, go ahead. I just want to say thank you to the caller for sharing your story and uh, for your courage and your uh, braveness. It, these are very hard and difficult things. Um, so many horrible things have done in the, been done in our history in the name of religion, um, and it's not um, it's not what our constitution supports. We believe that people have this right to freedom of religion, to freedom of speech, um, to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and a lot of what. I fight against uh, our efforts to deny that. Um, I was the first to start leading the charge on repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell because uh, we were discriminating against men and women in the military who were sacrificing their lives and telling them they could not do so if they um, uh, were LGBTQ. And so this is something I've been working on my entire time in the U.S. Senate, and I'm not going to stop. I think it's important that we respect everyone. Um, and that if you are looking at this from a religious lens, the, the number one rule is love your neighbor as yourself. And mm. a lot of the ways this court is acting and then these individuals are acting does not do that. Um, there's not uh, uh, respect and dignity for all humans under their views. Nathan, thank you very much for your call. Please call us again. Senator, as you know, another lame duck session agenda item is funding for Ukraine. You're on the Armed Services Committee, and I see you attended an international security conference in Halifax this month where that was a focus. What happened there, and what's the question on the table for the Senate now? So uh, I attended the Halifax Security Forum, which is an opportunity for allies around the globe to get together to talk about um, global security issues. And the three biggest issues we talked about was um, the Russia Russia's war in Ukraine um, and how they are going to survive the winter and what is the plan um, over the next however many months to continue to support the Ukrainians' uh, desire to win and to survive and to defeat Russia. We talked a lot about Iran and the women's movement there and how uh, the country is rebelling against its um, current leadership for being so 
restrictive and uh, authoritarian and violent and how we can help those uh, freedom fighters and those advocates um, for religious freedom and for women's rights specifically. And we talked about Afghanistan and how we can help to um, meet the needs of the refugees for women who are still stuck there uh, with no access to education or rights. And so this forum is just an excellent chance for, for me and other senators and House members who went to talk to other world leaders about these challenges. And we had a lot of bilateral conversations um, with uh, the Kosovo defense minister, the Swedish defense minister, the Estonian president, the Bundestag members, um, Australia defense minister, and talk about what we, we can do as allies to help strengthen these um, long-term security goals. Well, as you know, some Republicans ran in the midterms, and I saw some very expensive national advertising by an interest group that seemed to run and run and run during the fall on national television on stop throwing billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars at the needs of Ukrainians when there are so many needs of people in this country that there isn't enough money for. How would you respond to that? Um, there are great needs for Americans that we are very focused on. Um, I'm particularly focused on making sure people have food. Um, food security, especially during the holidays, is one of my highest priorities to make sure we fund all the programs and make them easier to access, whether it's the food stamp program or the backpack program for kids to take food home on the weekends or in the summers. Um, I focus a lot on affordable housing. Um, a lot of people don't have a roof over, over their heads. And so figuring out how to um, invest in our cities and our states to get more affordable housing um, and then to make sure people have access to health care. So these are the highest priorities, the gravest needs of Americans, and we will fund that and work on that. But we are a great and wealthy country, and when a belligerent authoritarian country like Russia decides to invade a neighbor um, for no reason except for their greed and corruption of wanting to take more land, uh, we have to stand against those type of leaders. We have to stand against Putin, and we have to help people who are fighting for their democracy. And we are a wealthy country, and we can do both, and we should do both. And that, But the reason why I went to Halifax is because we have to make sure the world community is helping the Ukrainians. It's not just the responsibility of the United States. It's the responsibility of any uh, freedom-loving nation. And so uh, we work together to figure out how to each help. And we aren't alone in helping. We may be giving them certain kinds of um, equipment and uh, certain kinds of um, military um, uh, weapons and um, ammunition, but so are other allies. And so we can do both. Um, but Congress's job is to make sure that people have the health care, the education, the jobs that they need to protect their families. Senator, another issue related to your Armed Services Committee membership is the Defense Department Budget and Authorization Act that's coming up, I know. And um, I'll read a, a, a version of a take on this published by Forbes yesterday. It says, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin urged House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in a letter Monday to pass a full-year funding bill writing that a short-term stopgap measure 
would force the department to curb spending by $3 billion a month. Austin said the short-term bill would stall progress of nuclear weapons programs, space exploration, military recruitment, and infrastructure development, among other initiatives, while hamstringing the U.S. in competing with China's military operations. And I guess my question is, I'll bet some progressives are hearing that plea from the defense secretary and thinking, no, please cut that $3 billion a year from the Pentagon budget. Please cut that nuclear weapon spending um, and so much recruitment when nobody's going to invade the U.S., et cetera, and spend it on Americans' health care and other needs. Um, I read the Pentagon budget is on track to reach a trillion dollars in a few years. So is this the country that we want to be? Actually, um, this funding is essential uh, for the men and women who serve, for their families, uh, for their ability to have access to food and housing, uh, and we should not short shrift our military. But more importantly, um, Brian, is the national security of the country. Um, The reason why I go to the Halifax conference and the COP26 conference is the world is much more dangerous than... um, than I think people understand, and the risks to America are far greater than they actually know. Um, The war in Ukraine uh, has destabilized the norms. Um, A country like Germany assumed that we are post-war, and so they made contracts with Russia assuming they would never be their enemy. They receive their gas um, from pipelines from Russia that, you know, the elite uh, said, oh, of course, we'll never have problems with them. Well, now that Russia wants to take over country after country, destabilize the whole region, kill thousands of people in the process, creating 10 million refugees already from Ukraine alone, they don't have access to affordable cheap energy because they can't take the energy from the pipeline. And so they made the wrong judgment. And now our all the money that we've invested over the last decade is being used to help Ukrainians survive and fight to win this war against Russia because we have to stand up against authoritarian belligerents who are stealing land and countries for their own wealth. The next challenge we're going to have is going to be China's same ambitions. Um, She has said they want to uh, take Taiwan, another freedom-loving democracy, (laughs) and we're going to have questions about what is America going to do. Well, China's built up their tools to attack this country through cyber, through satellites, through space, through sea, through land, and it will be an attack on our homeland. Um, Cyber is easy. You can shut down someone's electric grid in a New York minute. You can shut down their supply chain. You can shut down their access to computers. You, You can destroy people's ability to heat their homes um, immediately. And so we have to be much more thoughtful about our place in the world and how we protect America and protect all these freedoms and protect everything that's necessary for human life. And you cannot do that without making these long-term investments. Um, I think the Ukrainian people are so grateful that America had the resources to send them the equipment they needed. Um, Most of NATO did not invest in that way over the last two decades because they assumed there'd never be a war in Europe again. Well, unfortunately, we have narcissistic, maniacal leaders like Putin who want to destroy people's countries and kill people and harm people and, God forbid, use nuclear weapons because if they use nuclear weapons, 
um, they can use it anyway, anywhere, against our allies, against us. And these are real concerns that people should not be flippant about. Here's another reason that the full-year Defense Authorization Act might be delayed. I see from Politico and from Fox News that would-be House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, this is the Politico version, said Congress should delay the National Defense Authorization Act until next year when the Republicans have control of the House, citing the need for the new majority to crack open the bill and try to roll back policies meant to make the service more inclusive. And this quotes McCarthy saying, I've watched what the Democrats have done in many of these, especially in the National Defense Authorization Act and the wokeism that they want to bring in there. That's a quote from McCarthy. And Politico says he didn't cite a specific issue, but Republicans use the term wokeism to refer to what they call a Fox News-fueled litany of complaints against Defense Department policies from vaccine mandates to efforts to root out extremism to a push to create more diversity in the ranks, all are framed as distractions that weaken the military. So my question is, do you expect battles with Republican House members next year and that House majority over diversity in the military or rooting out right-wing extremism there? I'm very concerned about the direction um, that the new speaker will take because they have a very far right-wing agenda and they will try to harm women in the military. Um, they will try to undermine diversity in the military. They will try to not enforce laws to protect our service members. Um, this year's defense bill, Brian, has the work I've put in over the last decade to change how we address uh, military sexual assault, harassment, murder, so that these cases can be dealt with by trained military prosecutors and not commanders who have no, middle, have no legal training and may well have bias. And so this professionalization is in this year's defense bill. I want that bill voted on immediately. I don't want that, that reform to be taken out. Um, that will help people. And, you know, when they talk about wokeism, they're talking about not prosecuting people who are um, committing crimes and destroying good order and discipline and destroying um, the ability of our service members to have unit cohesion. Um, it's, it's about creating a climate where people can respect one another and that our service can be as strong as it should be because diversity is our strength. It needs to represent the whole country. And so I think what he's talking about is wrong, um, unethical, and it's just part of this very extreme agenda to divide the country. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, good luck on that one. And thank you very much, as always, for joining us monthly and taking calls from listeners uh, and, and talking to me. We always appreciate it. Talk to you next month. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Thanks, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.